the podcast of the Doral Vineyard Church. This is a message by Denver Lee. Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is going to come out of Matthew 21. Um, on the handouts, there, there's some of the verses I'm going to go through. Um, so I just want to share um, this, this message on Palm Sunday. And some, some churches don't do Palm Sunday. I like to do Palm Sunday because Palm Sunday is perhaps one of the more offensive holidays for me personally. Um, and and it, it's really difficult for me to, to grasp Palm Sunday, and I'll share with you why as we move along. I'm just going to read that passage really quickly, and then we'll set some context and move forward. Matthew 21, verse 1 to 11. The verses are up on the screen. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there so you can highlight and take notes and all that if your Bible is not too holy. Um, Matthew 21, verse 1. Now they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, where Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied to a colt with her. So that's the mother donkey and the baby donkey. He says, loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, just tell them the Lord has a need for them, and immediately they will send them. Verse 4, all this was done so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. So Matthew's writing this story, and then Matthew kind of pauses and says, by the way, this whole thing is happening because, like, a few hundred years ago, there was a prophet who said that this would happen, right? So Matthew would have written like 40 to 50 years after this happened. And, and so Matthew is kind of looking back at, at, at this moment in history. And as he's writing and Jesus says to go and get the donkey and get the cult, and he said, by the way, this was happening to, to fulfill something. He didn't know it at the time. No one knew what was happening at the time. But when they look back retrospectively, he was like, ah, this was fulfilling that at that moment. So he kind of mentions that in here from verse four to verse five. Um, and he says, this was to, to fulfill the prophecy that was spoken. Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. In verse 6, so the disciples went as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them, and they set, and, and, and set him on them. And, and the very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, and they all said, Who is this? And the, the, the great multitudes responded, and they said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And, and my message for t- today is accept, expect, and accept. You guys are going to learn some grammar today because some of you, when you write, you're like, Isn't that one word? <laughs> we accept you to come today. No, that's not the right word. Um, I, we. I expect your apology. That's not the right word either. Um, these are three separate words. Um, expect, accept. Did you guys understand what I'm saying? All right. So let's say it together. Accept, expect, and accept. Those are three different words. Or accept. All right? <laughs> accept, depending on where you're from. So today, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, I, w- I want to set the stage for what this seemingly strange portion of history that is happening here. I see this happen, and we kind of, many things happen within, the, within Scripture, within the gospel. And I think we just kind of read it, and we're like, ah, it's the Bible. So weird things can just happen all the time, and we just never really get moved by them. But this is a really strange event in history, and I just want to set the stage for it, and, and then we'll look at what's actually happening here. And, and as I set the stage, when we talk about God, the idea of God that 
we talk about, especially in this country, when we talk about God, we're often talking about the Judeo-Christian God. And this God, we've come to know and to understand him through one context and through one context only, and that is the framework of history as set forth in the Bible. That's how we've come to know God, the God of the, of the, of the Bible. He's revealed to Abraham, this is the God that we refer to, um, a, the Judeo-Christian God. And as, as I try to find a word to properly describe and capture what I wanted to say about all of history and how God responds to us and how we respond to God, the, the best word I came up with was with accept. And the word accept is, 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 is kind of, it means like not, in, like not including, I think I have some definitions up there, not including or other than or set apart, right? So like, I like all these things except that one, right? Um, I'll come at any time except two o'clock. Um, so it, it's, it's a measurement of all things, and then you pull out the stuff that is not, it's the exclusion or whatever it is, right? So, so accept. Um, and, and, and that's the same place where we get the, the word exception or exceptional. And I really like this word because I think that it carries the weight of, of what I believe to be like all of the Old Testament idea and the story of the Old Testament. And we see this whole thing of being exceptional or being set apart or being pulled apart right from the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 1, verse 26, um, God, God had made everything. God made the beauty of all of creation, right? He made the mountains. He made the seas. He made everything. The rivers were flowing, the stuff that would take your breath away. God made everything, and it was very good. It was amazing. And then God, in Genesis 1, 26, says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God looks at everything that he's made, and then he makes you. He makes humanity, and you are exceptional. You are an exception to the rule of creation. It's like God made all the wild, and, and, and we, we see this picture in Adam also. Adam goes and he sees all the animals, and, and God tells him to rule over it, right? Because, because there's a place of like, you will rule them and you will give them name. I created everything, but you are an exception. This is what David means when he says that you are fearfully and you're wonderfully made. Like there's nothing like you. There's no one like you. You are made to be an exceptional creation. You're so much of an exceptional creation that a holy God made you. And the word holy means set apart. And so when you're made in the image of God, you're made to be set apart. You're set apart just because you're made to be like him. You're an exceptional human being, right? And if you're following along, um, number one in your outline, just we were exceptionally designed by a holy God. We were exceptionally designed by a holy God. God, God, God made things from other things that he created, right? So, so he created the ground, and then he said to the ground to, to bring forth all these things, and they came about. He created the, the sea, and he spoke to the sea, and he told the sea to bring forth these sea creatures. But then when he came to creating mankind, he pulls together himself, and he says, I, I, I can't find anything that I'm going to really make. So he says, I'm going to just take some dirt, and, and, and the body was laying there. He said, now, now I, I need to take a piece of my holiness, my set-apartness, and put it into this thing so that it would also be set-apart and exceptional and amazing. And this is you. This is how you were created. You're set-apart from all of God's creation. And in the kingdom of God, and, and if, if you've never heard the terminology, the kingdom of God, um, please get familiar with the, with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the idea of Scripture from beginning to end. When Jesus comes, there's nothing Jesus teaches about more other than the kingdom of God. All of scripture is about the kingdom of God. And this is what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is the rule of God. It is the reign of God. It is the authority of God. 
So every time we talk about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about a place that people go to. We're talking about the power that rules over a place or rules over a people. God establishes his rule, his reign, and his dominion. One of the easiest ways I I like to put it and think of it is the kingdom of God is God being in charge, right? And God is in charge. The kingdom of God is when God is in charge. If God is in charge of a place, the kingdom of God is here. So, and when God is in charge, his goodness happens, So Jesus says, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is here. Means that in God's realm, where God is in charge, there is no sickness. There's no sickness when God is in charge. So his kingdom is here. He says, in the kingdom of God, things look a certain way. They line up to the character of God. They line up to the nature of God. And they line up to the goodness of who God is. That is what happens in the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God is what we're looking at happening here. At the beginning of time, the kingdom of God is is expressed. You are exceptionally made in, in, in God's view, in God's vision. As far as God is concerned, you are absolutely set apart and you know it. It is by God's power and it's in God's perspective that he highlights humanity of special importance. But just like all things, as history progressed, it's not long before being exceptional takes a negative turn. Now, I want to explain, and you got, you got to kind of follow me here. A comedian actually did a really good job of, of kind of presenting what I'm trying to do here. Being, being exceptional is, is a good thing, right? Like you're an exceptional person. My children are, are at a stage now where they do this thing like, all by myself. Like, I try to feed them all by myself. Like, go all by myself. I want to do it all by myself. Like, hey, put your shoes on. He, he can't do it. You want me to help you? Nope, all by myself. All, all by myself. I'll do it all by myself. You want me to buckle you in? All by myself. Like, can't get it? Break in? No. All, all by myself. All by, do you need help? All by myself. All by myself. And, and, and this whole idea of doing it all by yourself is really good because they're getting independence and they get to be 18. It's like, I want to live all by myself. I want to get out. I want to do this thing all by myself. I want to get my own credit cards all by myself. I want to live all by myself. It's all about me. But then like when you're 40 or 50, it's like, I'm all by myself. <laughs> like your kids move out. You're like, I'm all by myself. Don't want to be all by my, right? And, and, and you have the same, the, the same idea. I'm all by, my, all by myself, daddy. One day, you know, my, my sons, may, they may have kids. They're going to go off to college. And I'm going to remind them like, hey, you remember that all by myself stuff? Here it is now, all by yourself. And, and, and this, is, this is the kind of thing that I'm, I, I see. And why I said the word exception really captures scripture because they're exceptional. They're an exceptional people. In Genesis 3, verse 4 to 5, the, the serpent comes and begins to speak to this woman. And he says, You're, you will surely not die if you eat of the fruit of the tree that God says that you should not eat from. So God gave two trees in a garden. Um, and he says, you should eat from this one tree, but not from this other tree, right? And so this one is going to give you life, life forevermore. You're going to stay in the garden in relationship with me. Everything is going to be great. Eat from this tree. But because love gives options and love gives choices, and it's only right that I give you freedom, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then you have freedom now to trust me or to not trust me. I have to have that for love to actually exist. Don't eat from this one, though. Just continue to trust me and love me because you are an exceptional human being. There's nothing else like you. There's no one else like you. This is, this is all between me and you, like you and Jesus, right? And then the, 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 the serpent comes and he says, because God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
And what, what the serpent is saying is that God has, a, God has excluded you from his kingdom. He's saying, you're exceptional. He set you apart. But he set you apart, but that means that, like, he excluded you. Because you can't see what he sees. That's why he told you to not eat from that tree, because he knows that when you eat from that tree— like the thing that you're excluded from, that you're going to get back into it. But the truth is, he's excluded you from his kingdom. He's excluded you from his rule and from his reign. And here's the thing. When you do it, you're going to be included again, and you're going to become just like him. And if I can convince you that you're excluded from something, you will work to be included into it. But the tricky thing here is that God already made them in his image and likeness. And so what's happening here is you're not working for something that's already yours. It's, it's, it's kind of like, like you have a million dollars in the bank and no one told you about it, but you're still showing up to that job, working for something when there's riches available for you because someone told you that no money is there. Wouldn't you be mad if that happened? <laughs> like, like, wouldn't you be mad if you find out like a great grandparent left you like 45 million and someone just told you, no, nah, it's not there. You, you got to work for that. You got to work if you ever want anything. And you work hard and you work two or three jobs and you government assistance and all this. And when you're about 80, you find out I had $45 million since I was 18. And I spent my whole life just working and working and working. If I can convince you, if I can convince you that you don't have something, you will definitely begin to work for it. And this is what the serpent does here. And outside of God's kingdom, outside of God's rule, outside of God's reign, outside of God's authority, his vision, what happens is that exceptional becomes exclusion. You're set apart. And the idea of being come set apart, and you've got to hear this, right? So instead of being set apart, the enemy's saying, you're not set apart. He's, he set you aside. It's not that you're set apart. It's that you're set aside. He just forgot about you. He just, he made you lesser than, he made you not as great, and you're not really exceptional. You are really excluded. And instead of being unique, you're, you're actually very unusual. Like, like you're, you're kind of out of there. This is the kind of thing that happens when you no longer appreciate the uniqueness about who you are. Like, how many people do you know, like, there's something about you that only you can do? But if I can convince you that everyone else around you is doing the right thing, you will let go off of the thing that makes you unique to get into the grips of everyone else, and we lose the uniqueness of who you are. That's what happens here. You are exceptional. That's a good thing. Someone said you're unusual. It means that you're unique, right? right? It just, it, it, like you're different. Like being different somehow has become this terrible thing to be different. But no, no, no. You got to dress like me. You got to talk like me. You got to walk like me. You got to do things like me because we're all supposed to be the same. No, we're not. Because, because God has chosen the human beings and said, you are different. You are set apart. And the enemy says, you're not set apart. You're set aside. You're set aside. You're not exceptional. You're just excluded. And we begin to believe that and we begin to work for it. And then to drive that point home further, what happens is our systems and our cultures and our philosophies and even the reality that's set before us, it does the same thing the serpent does. It's a constant reminder that we are excluded. And we all can really understand this from a really practical standpoint. We, we can understand this because it looks like this. Everyone except me. Everyone has a good job except me. Everyone has a good savings except for me. Everyone has a good marriage except for me. Every, everyone has this great relationship with God, except for me. Everyone prays all day, except for me. 
I'm the only person, I'm the only one, I'm, except for me. Like, you're exceptional, but, but the enemy kind of takes that idea and excludes you so that you would exclude yourself and you will no longer be a part of what he's called you to be. Everyone has stability except for me. Like, I'm, I'm the only person, I'm the only one, and I'm excluded, and I'm set out. This is where the Old Testament leaves off, where God chooses a group of people. They're the Hebrew people, the Jews, and he set them apart. And he set them apart to be unique, right? Do you guys remember these stories? He set them apart to be unique. He said, there's no one else like you. And through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. But you've got to stay unique, right? You've got to stay unique. You've, you've got to let me rule over you because I'm about to change the whole world through these little tribes. I'm going to take 12 people, 12 little tribes, and I'm going to impact the whole world for all of eternity. And it's going to stretch into the eternal kingdom and the 12 thrones and the 12 forever. I'm going to do this through 12 people. But here's the thing. You've got to keep unique. You've got to keep the uniqueness about you. You've got to be exceptional. You can't be like the other guys around. You can't be like the Canaanites. You can't be like the Armorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites. You can't be like any of them. You've got to be unique and set apart. But they went out and they saw the Canaanites has kings. We want kings. Oh, they have gods that, oh, they, we want to do that idol thing too. We want to burn just like they do. We, we, we want what they have. God said, no, 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 you're, you're, guys, you're, you're unique. Like, you're, you're supposed to be set apart. He said, no, no, we're missing out because they have kings and we don't have kings. We want kings too. It's like, no, no, guys, listen, I'm your king. I'm going to rule from heaven. I'm doing something new in the earth. No, 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 no. I want to be just like them. And being exceptional loses its flavor. Because somehow they were convinced that they were missing out on an experience when God was really trying to separate them and set them apart. They felt like they were set aside. You guys get what I'm saying? Like this is how history progressed. And this is where the Jewish people find themselves when Jesus comes onto the scene. So there's a historic hope. The Jewish people, when, when, when Jesus comes, there's a historic hope that's, that's happened. When, when, when John the Baptist is around, there's a hope that there's a Messiah who's going to come. And the Messiah is going to restore those who were excluded and make them exceptional again. That was the hope that they had in the Messiah. So these are people who are in the Roman Empire, and they are under the Roman Empire. They're under the rule of the the Roman Empire. They submit to the Roman Empire. They have no real freedoms. They went from being a great nation under King Solomon and King David, where every man had his own pasture, his own vineyard. Everybody was rich. You just kind of like, like everything was great. And all of a sudden, they were conquered by Babylon. They were conquered. They were conquered. They were reduced. And all of a sudden, these exceptional people became excluded by the Romans. And now they were under Roman authority But they had a historic hope because all their prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Zechariah, all these prophets were saying, there's going to become a day when a Messiah, a Savior, a Christ is going to come. And when he comes, he's going to conquer everything that has conquered you. He's going to destroy that snake, everything. He's going to conquer it. And you are once again going to be an exceptional people. You're going to go from being excluded to be exceptional again when this Messiah comes. That was the hope. That was the expectations, right? And so this is, so when Jesus comes and, and Jesus starts to talk about like the Messiah and the Christ and he starts to fulfill these prophecies, it's like, this is, it's time. Guys, it's been hundreds of years. You've, you've got to understand that these people lost hope. 
all hope was lost. You got to imagine, like, like many of us, many of us, like it breaks, we're breaking barriers in 2016 for who goes to college. Like I'm the first one in my line who went to college. Like we're still breaking those barriers. Imagine years and years of generations of the struggle. Like 500 years ago, like the oppression was here. The oppression was real. And we inherited this oppression. We're born into oppression. We heard stories about the Davidic kingdom, about the kingdom of Solomon. We've heard great stories about a great kingdom and a great God, but yet we were born in this oppression and, and we, we're trying to break barriers, but it's really hard because we're under the Roman rule and under the Roman empire and they're kind of losing all hope. Right? It, it's really hard to have hope. I, I don't know where you're from or what culture you, you're born into, but it's really difficult to have hope when you don't come from a long line of hope. If you don't come from a long line of hope, if you don't come from a long line of people who have succeeded, if you don't come from long time money, it's really hard for you to have hope that you could actually be something one day. Many, many parents now are working really hard, not because they want to get rich, because you're about 60 or 70. It's not about you getting rich anymore. But, but if you can leave your children something, it, they're not going to live off of it, right? Your inheritance that you have to leave your children, parents, you have to leave your children an, an inheritance. You, it, it is your obligation to leave your children an inheritance, not just because it's not something they can live off of. I'm, I'm not saying millions of dollars. They're not supposed to live off of it. But what the inheritance does, it, it gives them hope that I came from a line of people who succeeded at something and maybe there's hope for me too. And, and that's what has to happen. These people came from a long line of no Messiah showed up. My father was a fisherman. His father was a fisherman. His father's father was a fisherman. We come from generations of fishermen who left no inheritance. The boat sunk. We have nothing left. We start from scratch. Every generation starts from scratch. That's, that's the story of many of us. We, we, we start from scratch and we have to kind of build our own hope because maybe our parents didn't, maybe we don't come from that long line. And this is the culture that Jesus comes into where, where people are just hanging on for this last bit of hope. Maybe the Messiah will come and turn this whole thing around and do the thing like David did and take a throne and conquer nations if he has to. But I, but I, I need to, like my children, you have to imagine people who lived during the time of Jesus and they have little babies and they're looking around them like, are my children going to grow up in this nonsense too? We need a Messiah to come and save us. Someone has to come and turn this thing around because God has promised us a Messiah. That was the historic hope. In Luke 7, verse 21, John the Baptist champions this hope. John the Baptist comes and he says, listen, guys, that thing that we've been talking about, this hope, this Messiah that's going to come and turn this thing all around. Yeah, we came from hundreds of years of oppression, but that is going to end in this generation because in this generation, a Messiah has come. He's here. He's here. Like your children are not going to have to suffer. The Messiah is here and he's going to turn this whole ship around. Matthew, I'm sorry, Luke 21 John the Baptist sends his disciples, sends his friends to go talk to Jesus' friends because he's like, hey, Jesus, you're the Messiah, right? I believe you're the Messiah, but I'm still imprisoned. Now, you're, when you come, the hope was supposed to be that you're going to set the captives free, like you're going to take over the Roman Empire, like everything is supposed to change. It's like if, if I tell you, and I've told you this, many people have hope that if we get the right person in the right house that is white, that something will happen and your whole life is going to be turned around. And then you cast your vote, you get the guy or the girl in the office, and when they get there, you're like, hey, what happened to my free phones? <laughs> what happened to all the free stuff? What happened to, I thought this was supposed to all turn around. That's why I cast my vote for you. But I'm still struggling. Like, I still have college debt, right? 
I, th- I thought this candidate was supposed to get in office and cancel all my debt. So John the Baptist says, you're the Messiah, but I'm still in prison. Like, I've told people, like, that you're the guy who's going to save us, but I'm still being oppressed. So John sends his disciples, and, and Luke 7, 21, at that, at that very hour, Jesus had cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and, and even many people who were blind, he gave sight to them. And Jesus answered his, his disciples because they came and said, are you the Messiah or are we waiting for another? Like, are, are you the guy? John wants to know because he's in prison and he's not free. Are you the guy or not? Did we elect the wrong guy? Jesus says, you go back and you tell John the things that you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed are those who are not offended because of me. They went back and told John, and then John, and you got to picture this too. They, they go back and they tell John because they're like, okay, he said he's the guy. John, he says he's the guy. And then the next day, John gets beheaded, and Jesus does not step in. It's like, all right, so, so you're doing all these things. You're, you, either you are the Messiah because they have an expectation of what the Messiah is supposed to do, but it's not actually coming to pass. And number two in your outline, God's words transforms impossibilities into expectations. The word of God transforms impossibilities into expectations. Jesus comes and Jesus tells them, like, I am healing the sick. I am raising the dead. I'm doing everything the Messiah was prophesied to do. Right? I'm like, like you all are just looking for the overthrow of Rome. You're looking for a political and a governmental overthrow. But you're missing the fact that I am healing the sick. I am raising the dead. I'm giving, I'm, I'm showing you God's power in the earth as proof that I am the Messiah. And their response would have been, yeah, but we're still, like, I still didn't get my big check. Like, I still don't have my plot of land. I still don't have the stuff that I'm supposed to get. Like, when the people who lived, when David was king, like, the, the kingdom of David is to be restored, right? Um, that's what we, we, we read in, in, in the first portion of, of Scripture in Matthew 21, that it, it, he is, he's supposed to be the king who was coming, and he's restoring the Davidic kingdom. And he's supposed to be the one that turns this whole thing around, but he's not. And, and then Jesus begins to do some seemingly impossible things as proof that he was the expected Savior, but then— the message that he gave was kind of confusing. So he's doing all these miracles, and the message he gave was confusing, not in its content, but it was confusing because they were listening for something specific. So Jesus comes with a message. Now, you've got to imagine this. I- imagine that we're in the middle of a war. Like, we're in the middle of war, and you put someone in office who says, I've got military power, and I can end this war. I'm going to raise up troops. I'm going to, like, we're going to get this thing done. And you all have a hope and expectation. We're going to get this right guy in the office, and world peace is going to be established. And then you get him in office, and he gets to his podium, and then this is what he begins to say. Love your neighbors. Pray for those who persecute you. Give to those who ask. If your right arm causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Don't resist anyone who, who steals from you. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not the guy we elected. We want someone who's going to overthrow. If someone wants to be the greatest among you, they must be your servants. 
if you want to win, you've got to lay down. If you want to get all those troops killed, you need to put your guns down. This is where they are. Do you guys see that? This is, this is where these people are. They expected something governmental. They expected something political. But Jesus comes with this strange message at his inauguration. And it's not exciting for the people. But he's doing all the things that the Messiah was prophesied to do. Jesus' message about the kingdom, and it's something that we must know, it's not about a new world order. Jesus' message about the kingdom is not about a new world order. Now, I know that many of us have, you probably read these things on the internet, or you probably hear somebody, you know, we, we're, we're, we're doing these great plights for God, and we're taking cities, and we're going to get in politics and overthrow the government. Jesus' message is not about a new world order. That is what they thought then, and for some reason, though we have the completion of Scripture, we still think that now. We, we still have some idea that God is still wanting to do the thing that we see him not do here. He's not saying that there's something wrong with the world. He's born into the world. He knows there's something wrong with the Roman Empire. He, he knows that. But he never, he, he, he never goes to Caesar and fights Caesar. He, he never goes to overthrow Rome. He, he, his message is not that there's something wrong with the world. I don't have to tell anyone that there's something wrong with the world. You can see that. You don't need a Messiah to come and tell you something is wrong with the world. Jesus' message is said that there's something seriously wrong with the hearts of the people. That's his message. There's something wrong with the hearts of the people. There, there, there's, there's, something, there's something wrong with your inner world. There's something wrong with the inner world. But no, 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 the inner world's fine. Rome, Caesar. No, no, there's something, Jesus, no, 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 there's something wrong with your inner world. I have, I have my sword. We need to take over Rome. There's something wrong with the inner world. The outer world is going to be taken care of, but there's something desperately wrong with your inner world. And Jesus' message would have sounded something like this. Evil men are ruling over you. You have evil men ruling over you, and their leadership is corrupting your heart. And I want to fix that. You may have parents who have treated you poorly. You may have people who have abandoned you or cheated you or, 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 or people who have persecuted you, people who've done wrong things to you. And Jesus says, those things have transformed you. They've turned you into, they, they've brought you from exceptional to exclusion. And I'm here to fix your inner world. It says you're, you're critical of others. You're critical because you were criticized. I'm not here to kill those who criticize you. I'm here to take care of the fact that you're critical. You guys follow me? The people who you're critical of, Jesus says you're critical of that because you were criticized. There's something wrong with your inner world. The kingdom of God is coming. What about Rome and Caesar? Your inner world is corrupt. says you're judgmental of others because you may have leaders and people who have judged you. You may have parents who have said things to you. I, every time I sit with people and I listen to, some of you may not talk to me after this, but I listen to what people say about other people and my first thought process is, who said that to you? 
At what point did you pick up that level of judgment? When Jesus says things like, listen to this, re-engage if you're disengaged here. When Jesus says things like this, he says, the same measure that you judge others is is the measure that you'll be judged by. There's something wrong with your inner world. I'm trying to, because see, you are judgmental because you were judged and I'm not going to kill the judge. I I need to fix the place in you that's judgmental because that's the measure that you're going to be judged by. Don't worry about Rome. Don't worry about Caesar. The, the, The world is the world, but there's something in the inner world that I'm coming for and they absolutely missed it because they thought that they were excluded by Rome and that Jesus needed to defeat Rome. And, and, and this is the message that Jesus continually gives, and, and, and it's almost as if they keep missing. He says, look at, look at your heart. Look at how you behave when, when you don't get your way. When things happen that are outside of your control, look at how you behave. Look, look at how you're treating people who are different from you. I can't, I can't restore a world order with this. You'll be tyrants. Christians want power without character. I don't believe in that. I I absolutely do not believe in this. Jesus comes and he deals with the issue of character, but we're still screaming for power, power. Just say, no, you're missing missing the whole point here. If I give you character, if if you can get this character thing right, power, you, you don't even have to worry about power. All the kings in the Old Testament were measured up against David. Some of you are like, well, what about David and Bathsheba? David's character was subpar. David had impeccable character. She says, these, these kings are not like David. They're, yeah, you're, but, but you're not like David, though. Yeah, but, I, but what about the riches? Solomon was richer. Solomon was richer than David was, and David was still the pillar that Solomon had to get to. No one measured themselves up against Solomon. No one's like, I want to be like Solomon. Everybody wants to be like David because David had a character that just released power from him because he, had a, he was after God's heart. And, 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 and Jesus is saying, look, look, at, look at how you treat people who are broken. Look at how you treat the Samaritans. You think I'm going to come and overthrow Rome and put you in power? Look at how you're treating the people around you. Why would I come and get all these Jewish people who are absolutely ticked off? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> why, why would I come and, and, and give you power? Because God is good. That's not good. Why, why would I come and give power? Look at how selfish and self-centered you've become. You're all about you. You're concerned about your own stuff. This is, there's something wrong with your inner worlds that I'm coming for. Yeah, but Rome is charging us an extra 10% on taxes. What about, they killed John the Baptist? What about Caesar? About my children and the inheritance? Your children are going to inherit that same stink attitude. They can inherit all your money if they want to but you're going to perpetuate that behavior. You're going to perpetuate that mentality. Yeah, I'm going to release power. But when I release power, imagine if your children just become 10 times more powerful than you are with the same character. Look at, look at, look at how little love you really have within you. Look at how you love people. You don't, you don't love people. 
And, and, and essentially what that really means is that look at how little of God's love is in you. Like you want God's kingdom, but you don't have God's love. How could you want to carry God's kingdom without God's love? That is, that's stupid. That's, <laughs> can't find another word for that. That's just stupid. Why would God give you all this power if you don't have his love? That's what happened with Satan. You, you want him to create more devils? People who are powerful and people who are, who, who are influential but don't carry God's love? Why, why would I do that? I'm not coming for your outer world. I'm coming for your inner world. I'm, I'm, I'm coming for your inner world. I'm coming for the issue of sin. I'm coming for the issue of pride. I'm coming for the issue of selfishness. If you want to be great, you got to take up your cross and follow me. If you, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. You got to lose your life for my name's sake. If you want to become great, you've got to get over all this stuff. Get over you because I'm coming for your character. I can conquer Caesar if I want to. I can call a legion of angels who will come and bail me out. But for you all, I have to die. I can be saved from Caesar, but it's you all I can't be saved from. Look at your hearts. Look at how you are when you think I'm going to take over Rome. But as soon as I, I, I start to speak to the woman at the well, you're offended. As soon as I heal someone, as soon as I sit with a prostitute, you get so mad at me. You, you call me a devil because I heal on the Sabbath. You prefer your laws more than your people. Why would I give you power? Why would God's kingdom come into this mess? I'm trying to bring heaven, not hell. That's, just, that's how you bring hell. That's not what I'm trying to do. Jesus came to save them from their sins, but they were still talking about being saved from Rome. He said, I want to save you from the selfishness, the arrogance, the pride. I want to save you from, I want to save you from that. I want to save you and rip you from the place where you stop talking to people because they looked at you wrong. The people who you wiped out, those who you've outcasted, those who are on the fringes of, the, the fringes of society, they're on the outskirts of it, and you push them further. Those who you hate, those who you blog about all the time and talk about how much you dislike them. I'm trying to save your soul. And you're still worrying about governmental power. I put people in office and I take them out. That's nothing for me, but your inner world. Your outer world is easy. It's the inner world that he is coming for. But what blinds them is their expectation. What blinds them is what they expect. They expect God to come in military power. And they did not see that he was coming in spiritual power for their hearts. They did, they did not see that God's kingdom was coming and he was going to radically transform the way they see themselves, transform the way they see the world. I've said it many, many times. It's very easy to control people. You could tell people what to do. It's very easy. Very easy to tell people what to do. But if you try to change someone's heart, have you ever tried to change somebody? Have, have you ever tried to just like talk people into change? You could buy them books. You could, you could, you could bring them to church. My, my words can't even change them. I can't change people. Jesus stood up and on the, he's talking to the multitudes. He's teaching them. He's teaching them the, the ways of the kingdom. They're still not changed. Even his very disciples followed him, walked with him, saw him. They, they still were unchanged. This transformation is hard. I could transform Rome, but the people in Rome, it's the people in Rome that I'm trying to transform, that I'm trying to take a hold of. And it's on this scene that we have Palm Sunday. 
This is, this is what it looks like when we come into Palm Sunday because now Jesus is about to go to Jerusalem and the thought and the idea here is he's going to go into Jerusalem. Caesar, it's time for you to go. We're going to crown him king. We, we, we have enough followers, right? We, we have a bunch of followers. People were probably getting swords ready. They were getting shields ready. They were like, this man is coming in on a big white horse and he's going to go into Rome and he's going to conquer everything that he needs to conquer. We, the, the Davidic kingdom is going to be restored. My, I'm going to get my check. I'm going to get my land. My kids are going to have hope again, vision again. We're going to be restored again. And he comes on a little raggedy donkey. Again, inconsistent with what they expected. And in fact, he, it's so funny. He tell him to bring the two donkeys, bring, bring the mother and bring the baby. And I want to ride the baby. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just like, it's like, I just want you to see how low I'm going to get here. Don't even, just put some raggedy clothes on it. Just put some clothes on it. Who's got the oldest sweater? Because I need you to see that I'm not coming in military plight. Your hope is not in the governmental change. The hope is in this place. Listen, guys, this is what Jesus is coming for. Everything else is going to pass away. This is why I don't spend my time worried about little political things that people say. You got to mention politics. I don't care about politics if you're still... All right. So, 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 so Jesus comes, Matthew 20, verse 17. Now Jesus is going up to Jerusalem and he takes the 12 disciples along the side of the road and he said to them, so this is Jesus. He's talking to his disciples and he's going into Rome and he's going into Jerusalem and he's telling them what's about to happen. He said, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man is going to be betrayed. And the chief of priests and the scribes, and, and they're going to come and condemn him to death and, and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They're going to mock him and scourge him and crucify him. But on the third day, he's going to rise again. And then here's what happens. So, so Jesus pulls his 12 aside and says, guys, listen, it's time. It's time. I'm coming into my kingdom. Like the, the hope of the world, as we go into Jerusalem, there's no going back. We're going to go into Jerusalem and things are never going to be the same again. Then what happens is the mother of Zebedee, that's James and John, they, they probably go home. And they're talking about this. They're saying, all right, tonight is our last night. Tomorrow we enter into Jerusalem. The kingdom of God is going to come in all power. It says, and, and it's going to be great. We're onto something big here. Like all those tax collectors, we're going to conquer them. Like this is everything, everything changes tonight. Everything changes tonight. Hundreds of years of oppression, hundreds of years of lies, it changes tonight. And either they would have told their mother or their mother would have heard the conversation and goes to Jesus. Says, can, 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 can my sons rule next to you? Can they sit next to you on your throne when you take Caesar? Can they sit next to you on your throne? You gotta understand that Jesus just poured out his heart to his disciples and they missed it. They would have gone back and said, mom, can you? Can you ask him for me? If we could just be the guys, if we could be the ones that will sit next to him in all this power so we could rule over those tax collectors that robbed you and cheated you. She said to Jesus, grant these two of my sons of mine that they may sit, one to your right hand, one to your left hand in your kingdom. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? They have no clue what he's talking about. 
because their minds are set on the external world. Jesus is talking about their inner world. Even in this room, some of you might be hearing this message on a complete political note. Jesus says, let them who have ears, let them hear. Because some of you are going to hear it, but there's a different kind of hearing. You've got to hear what he's saying. You've got to hear what he's talking about. I'm not talking about your outer world. I'm talking about your inner world. And I'm going to jump down to verse 20, 26. When, so in, in verse 24, the other 10 disciples heard that the two brothers went and asked for Jesus' right hand. And they were like, these two, why, why would you go? And so they got mad at the, the two and they came to Jesus and they were probably fighting. Like, I'm going to be on the right hand. I'm going to be on the left hand. I'm going to be in all power. I'm going to get the cabinet. I'm going to be the treasurer. I'm going to be the secretary of state. I'm going to get these positions when he comes into the kingdom. Jesus pulls them aside and he says to himself, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Verse 26, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever becomes, whoever desires, desires to become great among you, let them be your servants. And whoever desires to be first among you, let them be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, listen, it's like I said, because you've been oppressed, all you're going to do is oppress people. You know how the Gentiles, the Romans rulers were. They, they lorded over you. Do you remember how, how, how they just take from you what they want to? You know how when you don't listen to them, they ride on their horse and they just kick you down when you know how, says that's how they rule. And that's the kind of rulership that you know. Because that's the kind of rulership that was given to you. You will, you, you will inevitably, if there's no change of your inner world, if you were like treated poorly by your parents, like if there's no change in your inner world, like that's the only kind of rulership that you know. Why would you rule from a different place? You can't rule from a place that you don't have possession of. If that's all that was ever displayed to you, that's all that you will ever be able to display. You're just a projector. You're going to project whatever was put inside of you. This is the projector up here. It goes from the computer. It goes to the projector. All this thing does is it takes whatever they're sending from the computer and it shoots it up on the screen. It comes from the computer here and here. Well, you're, you're just a projector. She says... If there's no change between the computer and the projector, you're always going to get the same thing on the screen. Your children are going to endure what you endured. If I put you in charge, the people around you, they're going to endure what you endured. This is not going to make any sense. There needs to be a change. Somewhere, there has to be a change. And it's not the outside world. You're asking me to change this. I'm not, you can't just change this. I can go up there and write different words on the screen right now, but then it's going to change again. You've got to do a better job than writing on the screen. This is, and, and what writing on the screen would be a picture of is, is just some, some good behaviors here and there and, 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 and self-behavior modification. And, but there's no real transformation. You've got to transform the stuff that's being projected up here. So, so you've endured the rulership of, of, of Rome. And what he's saying here, um, verse 26, he says, not so with you, though. Not so with you. That's not how you ought to rule. It says, in fact, here's, here's the rulership. If you want to lead, you've got to be last. Like, because I'm changing your inner world. And, and this, is, this, this is how, this is how Jesus comes into Jerusalem 
and everyone is excited. Everyone in Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, they get their palms and they're worshiping and they're excited because they feel like God is going to change all my external circumstances. Some of you here today, God, is, God just needs to change my external circumstances. It's like one of the reasons why I don't preach about money because I, like, I mean, my board, I don't know if the board will care, but I don't care about that. That's not, it's not the pleasure of my heart. I don't care how much money you give or don't give. I don't, I don't care how much money you make or don't make. It doesn't matter to me. That, that's why I don't talk about how you can make more money, because I don't care if you make more money. Because if you're unchanged, then this means throw your Bibles away. Sell them. If you want more, more money, sell your Bibles. Make, make a profit. Buy them for 10 bucks and sell them for 12. If you're, if you're, if you're not changed, this is, this is purposeless. It, it absolutely makes no sense. Jesus is not coming primarily for your external circumstances. They constantly ask him, just do another miracle. Give us another trick. He says, you wicked people, Sodom and Gomorrah, they were better than you. You guys, you guys remember that passage? They were like, give us another trick. Jesus is like, you are evil. It's like, what a, what a, what a remark from, from our Lord. It's like, well, you're doing tricks all down the street, so why not do some tricks here too? It's like, oh, because you missed the point. I'm changing your outer world to show you I have power to change your inner world. But you got stuck on the outer world. I blessed you with more finances so you know that I love you and I want to change you and, and actually be in your life. I'm not just trying to get you more money. That's not, that's not what God is. You guys, you guys got to look past the blessings. I didn't just heal you. Like he raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus is going to die again. What will be the point of raising Lazarus from the dead if he's going to die once more? There's a much bigger picture here. That's why Paul says if you prophesy... You have tongues of men. If you, if, if you can prophesy, if you know all the men, I don't care how gifted you are spiritually. If you don't have God's love, sell your Bibles and make a prophet. Says, because this is, this is what it's about, because it's the love of God that transforms you and changes you absolutely. Absolutely. And today is Palm Sunday, and the reality of Palm Sunday as we enter into Holy Week, and this is the, this is the truth. Listen to the truth. The truth is, Today's Sunday, Palm Sunday. By Friday, none of these people are going to be here. With their palms. Hosanna! The king who saves! We'll die for you! They're throwing their clothes. They're taking the clothes off their backs. I don't even think... I don't know if this is true. I'm going to take the clothes. We're going to get new ones anyway. <laughs> Just like taking off their coats, throwing them down. When he comes into power, we're going to have everything. Burn everything you got. We're going to be rich. <laughs> By Friday, none of them are present. There are no palm leaves on Good Friday. The only clothes that are at the foot of the cross are the ones that came off our Savior's back. No one was throwing down their clothes to welcome him. Everyone was running from him. No one was celebrated. There was no songs here. There was no, the only procession was him on a cross. There was no holy procession with the donkey and the people and the leaves. It wasn't glorious and it wasn't beautiful. But the Sunday procession is what they expected on Friday. 
And when they didn't get their expectation on Friday and they, and they saw the hope of the world, the Savior, the one who he was carrying a cross and about to be crucified, let me find something or someone else to place my hope into. And they all left and fled because they expected an outer world to be changed. But Jesus was dying to change their inner world. He was dying to change their inner world. And they missed it. And they ran away because they thought this will not change our outer world. He is not sitting on the right throne. He's hanging on a cross. But there's something much deeper that is happening. John 3, verse 14 to 16. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about the kingdom and about his work and about what's about to happen. He says he must be lifted up that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him that the world might be saved. Amen. You missed it. You missed it. They, this is, it's plain as day. They missed it. Just as, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. You guys remember the, the serpent in the wilderness? Um, the the, the poisonous serpents broke out. They started stinging all the people. People were dying all around them. They get some bronze and, and, and build a snake and put them on a stick and hold it up in front of the people. And if you hold it up and they look at it, then they're going to be healed and changed and transformed. Jesus says, same thing here. I'm going to be hung up on a cross and all you've got to do is just stay with me. Just stay with me. Look at me. Believe in me. You're going to be changed and transformed and healed. He says, that's, that's what's about to happen here. So you're not taking over Rome. Okay, so there's not going to be a check, and I'm not going to have land? All right, and you want me to pray for Rome? And you want me to pray for Caesar? Okay, all right, all right, okay, all right, all right. Oh, and you're going to die. Okay, all right, great, great. So so you're not even going to be around for this whole thing. You're going to go off and die. Oh, you're going to raise again? Okay, but then you're going to leave also. Okay, great, great, great. All right. All right, this is a great plan. This is a great plan. I'm going to put my palm leaves down and we'll wait for another Messiah who will change our outer world. And we'll, we'll go for witchcraft and we'll go for magic tricks and we'll go for self-preservation and we'll go for santeria and we'll, 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 we'll go for all these other things. We'll go for all these other things because this is not how I want to be saved. Jesus says, well, that's what, that's what I came to do. I came for your inner world. So if you're just looking to be blessed, if you're, if you're looking for the five-fold blessing, that's not what he came to do. If, if you're looking for a good prosperity, that's not what he came to do. Some people are still looking for Jesus. If you give more, if you tithe more, if you bless more, you're going to get prosperity. God is going to make it rain. He never made it rain. He never made it rain. He never made it rain. People are still waiting. Not dollar bills for everyone. That's not what he came to do. That's not what's going to happen. And you miss it. And you miss the real transformation of heart that he wants to do. And lastly, number three, when we accept God's love for us, his plans will surpass what we expect. His plans will surpass everything that you expect. They were thinking, we're going to take over Rome. He's like, the Rome? Listen, guys, he's going to come and we're going to take over Rome. Jesus would have been like, Rome? You're thinking Rome? Listen, I'm thinking Africa. I'm thinking Australia. I'm thinking the United States. I'm thinking something much bigger. I'm, th- I'm thinking 2,000 years from now. I'm thinking eternity. You're thinking Rome? You want me to take over Rome? I'm thinking universal and global 
It's much bigger, much bigger than Rome, and it's Palm Sunday, and this is the time when God comes into Jerusalem, but it's not the Jerusalem that you're expecting. He's coming into the inner Jerusalem, if you would. He's coming into the hearts of men. This is what he's here for. God may not express his rulership in the way that you want him to. He may not restore the relationships that you want him to. You may not make the amount of money that you want him to make you make. He may not give you the house that you think he's going to give to you. All those things, I feel like I'm going like to break some hearts here. <laughs> Welcome to the Draw Vineyard. All those things, <laughs> all those things, all those things that the world has told you that Christianity brings with it, it's not what God promises. The greatest thing that could happen to you today is that your inner world begins to change. That's the greatest miracle that could happen. You can get home and you can have a brand new car that you've, ever, that you've always dreamed for in your parking lot, your garage, wherever you live. But if God starts to work on your inner world, that car means nothing. That's the greatest thing that God could ever do for you today. And he wants to rule over you. He, his kingdom wants to come. And not, he, his kingdom does not... I'll make a political statement. Hope you all understand that in context of what I'm saying, his kingdom is not trying to come to the, to the United States. His kingdom is trying to come to hearts. You're like, God's kingdom is going to just break over the United States. That's not what Jesus promised. The kingdom came like a mustard seed planted into the soils of people's lives. That's how it grew. It didn't come and drop bombs and cities started changing people started to change. This is how Rome was conquered. Rome was conquered because people changed. Because the disciples had a different way of living. The reason why Rome was conquered because Romans started to turn against Rome because Rome didn't love them. You got to get this. The Christians were loving the Romans. And Rome had a bunch of gods that Caesar would tell the people, you've got to worship and praise this God for all these things. And the people were like, the Christians, though, they're taking care of our widows. They're, they're, they're coming and comforting our sick. Some, some, someone had a miscarriage and the Christians were there praying. And they cared and they comfort us. And, and, and Rome's policy is that if I have a child that, that has some Down syndrome, or has some difficulties, Rome says I have to kill him, but the Christians will care for him. The Christians, and this is not policy that Jesus gave people. There's nothing here that Jesus says to do that. These guys were transformed in such a way that they loved incredibly. Well, Rome is the one that's persecuting you. Yeah, but our Lord changed us, and now we just want to pray for the Romans. And Rome eventually was conquered because people were just becoming Christians by the masses because they were experiencing the love of God. Not because we were handing out cards. Not because we were just standing and praying for people in the streets. It, not, it wasn't praying for people in the streets. It was loving people, transforming communities, accepting those who were casted out. This is the love that were changed in the people's heart that they gave away. This is how Rome was conquered. But the people missed it. They thought Jesus was going to come out. He said, no, no, I'm going to change you. I'm going to plant a little mustard seed inside of you. If you let me, if you will let me, that's what I will do. Second Timothy 1 verse 9, God saved us and called us with a holy call and not according to our works. Somebody say, not according to my works. He didn't save you according to your works. 
but according to his own purpose and his grace, which was given to us in Jesus Christ before time began. He called you and saved you according to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And I want to end by declaring to you that the kind of God who wants to rule you today is good. Because, I'm, because what I want to invite you into today, for the few people who are sitting in here, if just five people catch this, I believe that something amazing will be birthed today. And, and I want to invite you today to receive God's kingdom. And, and, and what, that, what that means, I, I, I want to invite you to accept God's rule and, and if you're in this place and you've never done that before, if you, if you never made it a decision to follow Jesus, if you were just like, I was born in a Christian home, so that qualifies me, sorry to break your heart again, that doesn't qualify you. That's not what this is about. If you're saying, I pray every day, I read it, but that's not what this is about. I'm saying to submit to God's authority for you. Submit to his authority, to his kingdom. Now, one of the difficulties that makes it hard for us to submit to authority and to rulership, especially in 2016, is because we have a culture that tells you that authority is a bad thing. That all the authorities that are over you, that the word authority itself is demonic, that there should be no authority. Every man should be for his own. But the kingdom of God says God's authority is coming over you. That's what it means. And so we've got to be healed of this idea of bad rulership because it allows us to reject God's rulership. And he wants to have authority over you. He, he doesn't want to co-labor with you in this way. He wants to have authority over you. He wants to have complete authority over you. And I want to tell you the kind of God who wants to have this authority over you. It is a God who is not far off. It is a God who created all. He exists outside the universe, but he came into the universe. He came into the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He came into the earth to be closer with you. He, he dwelt with those who were among him. He, they beheld his glory. He didn't stay far from you. He didn't, he didn't want a long distance relationship. But he closed in the gap when he came. And he did things that the blood of bulls and goats and rams could not mend the relationship with us. Kings and prophets, and, and none of them could mend the relationship or be the voice of God. We could not hear God properly through the prophets. And so the word became flesh and dwelt among us because he wants to dwell with you. This is the kind of God who wants to rule you, that he doesn't want to rule you from afar. He's not trying to sit on the Roman throne. He's trying to come close to you. He doesn't want a long-distance relationship. And this is the kind of God that he, when he rules over you, he washes your feet. You don't know anybody who rules, who rules over you that washes your feet. Your boss will never wash your feet. I don't care who you work for. Your boss will never wash your feet. Except if you work at the church. I might wash your feet. <laughs> your boss will never wash your feet. But Jesus comes and he says, I want to rule over you, but I want to redefine rulership for you. I want to show you what rulership looks like. I, I, I want to wash your feet. I want to take care of you. This is what rulership is all about, right? Isn't what this is about? It's not about those who lord over you and tell you what to do. It's those who come close, come near, and I want to dialogue with you. I want to tell you God's plans. I want to release God's word over you. I want to bless you. I want to change you. I want to make you back to be an exceptional person. I want to take you back out of exclusion, things that you've excluded yourself from, things that you have been disqualified qualified for. I want to qualify you again. I want to bring you back into God's purposes. I want to bring you close. And then after I wash your feet and I get low for the things that you can't change, for the things that can't be changed, because for the sins that deserve death and nothing less thereof, for the things that you know that you should have died for, for the things that you know that you did wrong, for the things that you know that you're taken to the grave, the things that no one will ever know in this room or in your life, those who you've cheated, those who you've hated, those who you've outcasted, that secret pride place 
that thing that you have pushed people out, that, that secret little thing about the demographics of people who you just dislike for whatever reason, those things that are unchanging, that affair, those, all those things. I can't wash your feet enough for that. And so he comes in and says, I, I just need to die for those sins. I need to die for those sins because they can't be cleansed. I've washed your feet. I've done everything I can. But, but for this one, this is the big one. I need to endure the cross for this one. But let me tell you something. This is the kind of God who wants to rule over you. This is how I rule over you. I don't want to rule over you by sending you to the cross to punish you because that's what you deserve. A good ruler washes your feet. And then when your feet can't get clean enough, I die so that the blood can get those stains off. And if I can get lower to get those stains off, that's what a good ruler does for you. But I'm not done there. I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to conquer the group. I'm going to conquer everything in all of God's power. And this is not, imagine this is the God who loves you. This is the God who absolutely loves you. It says, this is, this is the guy who wants to rule over you. You let everyone else rule over you who doesn't meet those qualifications. You listen to everyone else and everything else that doesn't love you like that. But here's a God who stretched himself out for you. And he says, I want to rule over you. Not just partner with you. I know it sounds really nice that we're partnering with God. And I believe in that to, 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 to some extent. But I believe that the spirit of God is just saying, this is not about partnering with me. This is about submitting to my ruleship. I'm going to rule over you. But you've got to understand the kind of God that wants to rule over you. It's almost as if God was asking for your social security number. <laughs> you guys ever had anybody ask for your social security number? You get all nervous. You go to turn on your cell phone like, can, can, can I have your social security number, please? You're like, oh, can I just give you the last four? Can we do this some other way? Is there any other way that I can open up this account without giving you my social security because my uncle just got defrauded and there's a bunch of fraud that's going on? I cannot give you my social security number. Like, or over the phone is the worst because that's the only time you think your phone is being tapped, right? Like, can I please have your social security number? Can I fax it to you? Can I do, can I do something else? I just can't tell you. You'll go into another room. Nine. I'll call you back for the last four, right? And it's like, you, like, like you're just so protective because you know that's your identity. You know that that represents who you are. You don't just give out your social security number. You don't just give that stuff away. Like, well, I, I got LifeLock, but you still don't give it away. You still don't just give away your social security number. But, but, but Jesus comes and he asks for your social security number. But here's the thing. I'll end with this. Man, this has been really long. <laughs> Let's stand together. I'll end with this. When God asks for your social security number, it's easy to say no because of what's happening in the world. There's suspicion. There's all this kind of stuff. But today, I want to tell you the secret about the social security number. The secret about the social security number is this. You cannot be imputed on any legal form of an inheritance without your social security number. When Jesus asks for your social security number, you may think he wants to defraud you if you think that he's a bad king, if you think that he's not a good God. When he says, I want to rule over you, you, you may not receive it because you don't fully trust him. But that's the only way that you get your social security number on the inheritance. That's the only way that you receive everything he asks for you. Absolute and complete laying down to the rulership of God. Some of you are saying, but God is asking me to do things that I can't do. 
even better, lay down to the rulership of God. Sometimes you just got to make a decision, just rule over me. Like, I don't know what's good for me. I've made way too many wrong turns. I've bumped into way too many walls. Just rule over me. Whatever that looks like, just rule over me. And I'm going to allow some time for us to respond to that. And, and what's going to happen during this time is the Lord may just come and show you certain ways. Like, hey, I, w- I want to start here. I want to start ruling over you in this area. And the worst thing you could say is no. I'm going to show you. I just want to rule over you here. I want to rule over you in this. I want to rule, want to make my name known here. For some of you, it may mean turning away from certain things. It might mean ending certain relationships. For others, it, it, it might mean confessing some things that you've kept hidden. For others, it might mean stepping out into territory you've never stepped out into before. For others, it might mean that some fear has held you back from the calling and it's time for you to step out. He, listen, he's your king and he's going to give some marching orders and you've got to trust him. He's a good king. He's a good king. And you've got to expect him to do something much greater, much, much greater. Anything you can believe him for right now, he's, he wants to do something greater than that. If, you, if you're thinking he needs to conquer my Rome, he's like, no, no, I, I, I got a better plan. I want to go universal. If you're thinking, ah, but if you just come into Jerusalem, no, no, I, I want everything. And his plans are always bigger. His plans are always better, but you've just got to lay down and just trust him and let him rule you. Jesus, will you come into this place, Lord? Would you move across this room with the train of your mighty robe? And would you come and show us how majestic you are, that you are worthy to rule over us, that you're not just ruler of the nations, but you're ruler over Denville, that you're ruler over me today, God, that you're ruler over me, that you give me marching orders and I move. Lord, would you help me to submit to you? Would you help me to submit to your lordship and to your rulership because you've proven to me that you're love. You've proven to me that you're good, that you won't let me down, that you won't betray me, that you won't lead me into the path that will destroy me. I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my social security number. I trust you with it. I trust you with it. I trust you with everything I am. I want to lay down to your kingdom. I lay down to your rulership today. Lay down to your rulership today. I've tried to rule this life enough. Some of you got to pray that out. I've tried to rule this life enough. I've tried to be my own king. I've tried to keep my social security number secret. I've tried, to, I've tried everything. But today, you've proven that you're good. You've proven that you're good. There's no one better than you. And whatever your Rome is today, God will conquer it, but you've got to let him conquer it the way he wants to. I think that's the word for a lot of people in this room. This is just the word for a lot of people in this, this room. I just really sense that right now. You've, you've got to let him conquer it the way that he wants to. You've you got to let him conquer it the way that he wants to. You might have some ideas on the best route. You might have some ideas on the best strategy. But you've got to let him conquer the way that he wants to. This is why submitting to his rulership today is so important. You've got to let him do it the way that he wants to. The way that he wants to. If he doesn't want to go on a throne and he wants to go to a cross, you've got to let him. You've got got to let him conquer the way that he wants to. If that means that you've got to forgive someone who you don't want to forgive, if that's where he's telling, you've got to go that route. If it means letting go off of certain things that's kept you bitter, you've got to go that route. Because that's how Rome is going to get conquered. 
We love you, Jesus. We love you and we bless you, Lord. Father, would you come into this room, Lord, and just begin to plant mustard seeds into the hearts of your people. Would you begin to plant mustard seeds in our hearts, God, that we will be changed, that we won't have confidence and change in the outer world, but that the inner world would start to be transformed for your name and for your glory. We love you, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this message from the Doral Vineyard Church by Denville Lee. For more information, please visit us at doralvineyard.org.